Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Well, we're going to move into part two of our series, looking at the life of Joshua. And so um, I just want to remind us of a couple things, and then we'll jump into this morning's message. Um, You know, kind of the purpose of this series is to really learn from Joshua's life, not just as he was leading, but even in some of the earlier days in his life when he's a young man under Moses' leadership. And so we're going to spend some time in the series looking at those early years, and then we're going to spend some time watching him lead God's people as he's kind of the, the, the person of the moment leading them into the promised land. And I'm really believing that God has some stuff for us individually, but I also believe he has something for us as a people, as a church. Um, this, this is a, a series about how to move forward and take new territory. And often in my own life, when I'm walking through things, I can get very nostalgic about certain seasons in the past and kind of wish I could get back to that. Um, And I also think as we survey things happening in our culture and our country, there's a desire to go, man, I think we've headed down a bad road and I'd like to get back to some old ways. And I just want to say to you, God doesn't want us going backwards. He wants us to take new territory and go to new places, but he's given us a sure path to walk. That wherever we're going, there is a familiar road that saints of old, imperfect, but saints of old have walked in their journey with the Lord. We can learn from that. And so there's things we can learn individually, just about seasons of our life individually, but much of what we see in Joshua's life and throughout the scripture is that our journey isn't alone. These aren't our little American, individualistic, my purpose, what I wanna do. No, we, God wants to anchor us with his people in community because we're going somewhere together. And part of what we see in Joshua and where we started last week is like, as we started out seeing his life, what we really see is um, it's not all about him. He's a part of a timeline that's already existed for a long time. I mean, we're sitting here because 2,000 years ago, some faithful people witnessed the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and they obeyed what he said. They prayed. They spent time together. And then as God empowered them, they told other people about Jesus. We're here because of that. That doesn't mean because we're a part of something bigger than us that our life is insignificant. It actually helps give us a real sense of place and purpose. God chose each of us to be alive at this time, in this place, amongst these people. And that's what we see in Joshua's life. And so he embraced that. So last Sunday, as we just, as we just started, you know, the starting point, there were some lessons we see Joshua learning already. He learned how to fight. Anytime we're going to be moving into new territory, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be circumstantial obstacles that get in our way, and we have an enemy that comes against us. 
And so Joshua learned to fight. He also learned to follow. Before he was leading anything, he spent years, like 40 plus years, learning to follow someone else's lead. He learned to serve. And ultimately, as we see in Jesus' life, at any season, even in our leading, we're meant to serve as we lead. And so we all have things we're called to lead in, but we're meant to learn to to be servants first and always. And so he learned to fight. He learned to follow the lead of others. He learned to trust other people. Like he had a role to play in that battle that we studied last week, but there were a lot of other people that had roles to play and, and they were in it together. And then ultimately he learned to trust God. God said, write this down as a memorial to Joshua, how I intervened and I did something in this situation. And I'm gonna continue to move in Joshua's life when he faces new obstacles and new enemies along the way. So there's a little bit of where we have been so far. So um, I wanna open by just reading a couple of verses now from Exodus chapter 33, and I'm gonna pray one more time. And um, our whole focus this morning is on, on the importance of being in God's presence. And so I've just titled this simply, Stay. Stay. So let's read this and then let's pray. Exodus 33, I'm just going to read verses 7 and 11 for now. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone, who? Who? Everyone. And everyone who sought the Lord could go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. God, the fact that we could choose to be in your presence. Alex referenced this this morning, Lord, just what an awesome and reverential thing it is to be able to be in your presence. God, it's clear throughout many of the Old Testament scriptures um, what a fearful thing that was to come in um, flippantly, into your presence, to come in uninvited into your presence. Lord, you had to make a special way for people even to be with you because you had to deal with our frailty and our brokenness and our sin. And Lord, this morning as we look at some Old Testament passages from Moses' life, Joshua's life, God, thank you that we sit on this side of the story. God, that Jesus has made a way when there was no way. That by his blood, God, we can experience your very presence. Lord, would you encourage us this morning? Would you remind us of things that we have learned already? Would you teach us some new things? And ultimately, Lord, would you mark us as your people who purpose to stay in your presence 
Lord, may it be our priority. May it be our practice with each other to get in your presence. Lord, may it be the very aim of our lives to stay, to linger, to sit at your feet and be in your presence. What a precious gift. Lord, would you help us to walk in this? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is one of those sermons where, like, technically I have three points, but all three points are really just about one point. (laughs) Staying in the presence of God. That's it. That's the point. Staying in his presence. So I would encourage you... um, I'm not going to teach on all of these chapters, but the stuff we're going to talk about this morning is found within the chapters of Exodus 19 through Exodus 34. All right, that's a, that's a long range. It would take our whole morning just to read all that. Um, and so, but I want you to know kind of where we're at. Uh, I'd encourage you maybe to read through that on your own. You'll get more out of this if you kind of soak in that a little bit. Um, but this is now approximately a month after Um, the battle that we just looked at last week in Exodus 17, about another month has passed. And then this covers a time period of like three to six months within these passages. Um, And so what's happened is um, God's people have now come out of Egypt. They've dealt with a couple initial obstacles and they've, they've come to Sinai. They've come to the mountain of God where they're about to receive the 10 commandments and, and a whole lot more. And so they're camped out kind of at the base of Mount Sinai. And, and what God is doing is, you know, he's brought them out of Egypt. They've seen all these miracles and God is about to offer to them, if you would like, I've brought you out here that you might be my people, that we could establish ongoing, eternal relationship. I will be your God and you can be my people if you want that. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. This is Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Can't help but think about Jesus' words when he says, like, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. And so he goes and sells everything he has to buy that whole field so he can have that treasure. God's saying the whole earth is mine. Bought, paid for, it belongs to me. And you're my special treasure. You're my people. I've brought you here for the purpose of being in committed relationship with me. That's what covenant is. It's committed relationship. And so do you want to be my people? He's proposing to them, if you'll take it as such. I hope that doesn't feel too flippant to say it that way. But he's, he's, he's making a proposal. Will you be my people? And so they, they hear this. And Moses calls everybody together. Now verses 7 and 8. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. 
So God makes this offer and they say, yes, we're in. We've seen your miracles. We've seen what you've done. You brought us out of slavery. Yes, we can get to know you. We can have a relationship with you. Like we'll belong to you. Yes, we're willing to enter this committed relationship with you. They said yes. And so point number one this morning is simply this. We are meant as God's people to experience God's presence. Like as a people, not just individually, as a people. And so I wanna unpack for you what comes next because there's some really special things that take place. So Moses goes up and this is now covering chapters 20 through 23. So the next four chapters, Moses goes and he meets with God and he receives the words of the covenant. And so he receives the law, like we have the 10 commandments listed in Exodus chapter 20. Um, He also gets the land borders assigned. Like, hey, I've got this land for you and here's how much of that property that's gonna belong to you. So I'm giving you a way of life, a way of relationship. Here's the 10 commandments. What, What is this? It's a picture of how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. Here's the gift of covenant relationship. Here's a gift of the land I'm going to give you and I'm gonna be with you in this conquest of that land. I'm gonna fulfill what I promised. And so he, he lays out this commitment. Now what's interesting um, is, you know, as the story unfolds, there are gonna be some stone tablets, but we actually don't have them yet. God just communicates this stuff to Moses and it says that Moses writes it all down And he comes back and he reads it to the people. So again, God offered, would you like to meet my people? Yes, we would. Okay, here's the terms of what that's gonna look like. And so Moses receives this and he comes to the people and he goes, okay, you said you wanted to hear the covenant and you wanted to be his people. Here's what that means. Here's the commandments. He's your God and he's your God alone. No other gods before him. No other idols and, and so forth and so on. He lays all that out. Do we want this? Are we committing to this? And the people say, yes. And so they seal this covenant with blood. Moses makes a sacrifice, builds an altar. The people commit to be obedient to the word of the Lord. And then they make a blood covenant. Half the blood from the sacrifice is poured over the altar and half of it, get ready, kind of gross, gets sprinkled on the people. I would say they were aware that something pretty serious was going on. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Like if, if you showed up on a Sunday morning, we started throwing blood at each other. I mean, you're probably gonna leave. But you would at least think something's kind of serious is going on. Maybe Jake's just lost his mind, but something serious is going on. They, they understood that something significant and major was taking place. This wasn't a small flippant thing. Like the same God that brought those plagues, the same God that made the Red Sea depart, he's saying, I want to be in special relationship with you. And it's a big deal. I'm gonna be committed to you. I'm gonna take care of you. And I'm asking you to have a level of commitment in your relationship with me. And I also care about how you're gonna treat each other. I want you to to embrace the special relationship I'm calling you to as a people. 
And so they make this blood covenant agreement. And so now we're gonna pick up with a cool little story in Exodus 24 now. Y'all tracking with me so far? Yep, all right. Exodus 24, verses one and two. Moses is getting called by the Lord and he says, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. So God's calling them up, the key leaders, the core leaders. Verse two, and then Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. So he's kind of establishing this order. You're all gonna be my people. You've all agreed to it. You've made this blood covenant and now we're gonna seal the deal. Moses is now about to go get the tablets of stone because God's saying, okay, you're agreeing to this. All right, let's sign the contract. <laughs> let's seal the deal. And so I'm gonna be your, your God. You're gonna be my people. So your core leaders come up a little closer. And so they come up probably onto like the base of the mountain. And so they get invited up. And now we're kind of coming to like our main text here for point number one. I want you to see this special thing that takes place. Verses nine and 11, nine through 11, sorry. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elder, elders of Israel went up. Joshua is in this cohort. Verse 10, and they saw, they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Verse 11. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. That is significant. If you've read any Old Testament passages where people are starting to come into the presence of God, things get serious real quick, don't they? It could lead to death if you come in wrongly and correctly. And anytime we see people in God's presence, what are they like immediately doing? Shoes off, on their face, on their knees, prostrate, like major humility and reverence. Is that what happens next? Did you already read ahead? They come into the presence of God. God does not lay his hand on them and they beheld God and ate and drank. What a meal. What a meal. They're in the very presence of a holy God. They're seeing him. I don't, I don't know exactly what they saw. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but they beheld him. They got a glimpse of him. At the very least, they saw his feet and they saw the ground that his feet we're on, and guess what? That was no longer like dirt and earth. God's feet were on something heavenly, glorious. It was like sapphire. That imagery, that sapphire stone that shows up a few places in scripture. First of all, it shows up on the priestly garments that they're gonna be making soon. It's a symbol. It's a part of that, that symbol of like honor in the presence of the Lord. So we see it on the priestly garments. We see it described in the city of God, the new Jerusalem. We see sapphire stone. And ultimately it's associated with the very throne of God. Friends, on earth, these people are experiencing heavenly throne room-like stuff with God 
and they get to eat and drink and share a meal in the presence of God. Like in the, in the context of the Old Testament, that really, that means something. This is kind of unbelievable. This is kind of special. Friends, I think it would serve us really well if we would picture the opportunity that we have as God's people to come into his presence here and now. That there's a meal we get to have. There's food we get to eat. There's something precious we get to drink in the very presence of God. What an unbelievable gift. Now, why, why could they do this? Why could they even be in God's presence like this? Because there is a very specific magical moment that has just taken place here. Number one, they have been sprinkled by the blood. The blood of the sacrifice covers them. And as of this moment, which as we're going to see doesn't last very long, but as of this moment, they haven't broken the covenant yet. (laughs) They're pure before God. They've been covered by the blood and they've not yet broken the law. And so they're enjoying communion in the Lord's presence. This was a special and unique moment in the Old Testament. And Joshua got to be a part of it. Like imagine what that must have been like for him in these young formative years. Like, whoa, I got to be in God's presence. Friends, this is available to you and I. I wanna read a few verses together from Hebrews chapter 10. Because I I want us to have a sense of like the reverence of this, but also like the opportunity we ought to be taking advantage of to be in the very presence of God together. So Hebrews chapter 10, we're gonna read uh, 19 through 25, but I broke this up a little bit. So let's start by reading 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Why do we get to do this? Because we're really good? Because of the blood of Christ. That's it. We have this gift because of the blood of Christ. And we get to come in, what, like kind of half embarrassed, uncertain, not sure, feeling a little guilty, boldly, with confidence because of Christ and his blood, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Jesus has opened up a permanent way into the very presence of God. So what do we do? Verse 22, let us draw near. Like, let's take advantage of this. We have the opportunity to be in the presence of God together. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, I don't have to show up today with blood sprinkled all over your nice Mother's Day outfit. (laughs) Because... We've been sprinkled once for all. Friends, if we have accepted Christ as Savior, his blood purifies and cleanses us. And so God says, draw near, draw near. 
Come be with me. Come dine with me. Come enjoy my presence. Draw near. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The same way God made promises that he intended to keep back in Exodus, he has made promises to you and I that he intends to keep forever. He is our God. We are his people. We've been given the precious gift of the blood of Christ that we might draw near, that we might gather at his very feet. Like Mary that we sang about this morning, sitting at the feet of Jesus. We get to choose to be in the presence of God. And listen, we do it together. I mean, that's, that's what's so cool about this is like they're getting to experience this in Exodus as a group, a group of people together sitting around the table. I mean, they must have just been looking at each other like, well, first of all, are you seeing what I'm seeing or like am I having some weird experience here? What's going on? Oh, you're seeing that too? Whoa. They get to experience it together. And so we draw near and we hold fast. We make this our, our habit, our ritual, being in his presence. Verse 24 and 25. In this context, the writer of Hebrews encourages us to do something as a people. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how we can stir each other up to walk as covenant people, committed to God and committed to one another, being the sort of people he's called us to be, loving God together, loving each other together, fulfilling things he's called us to fulfill. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, there is a lot said in a very short bite there. First of all, when you see the day in the New Testament like that, the day, that's like God's showing up. And when the scripture talks about the day drawing near, usually it's accompanied by some things are going pretty bad down here. <laughs> Things are getting harder and worse. People are neglecting the Lord. They're neglecting his presence. There are, there are just a few who are faithful. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, as things get harder, there's all the more reason not to neglect gathering together as a people and being in the presence of God. We need reminders. We need heavenly reminders while we're here on this wilderness journey. Anybody feel like you need a heavenly reminder every now and then in the midst of hardship? Like we stopped to do that as a church this week. We just looked around and went, there's a lot of people going through very hard things. There's people who are hurting and struggling, people who've lost family members, people who are, who are sick and fighting for their lives. And you know what? We need to just stop and remember God's with us in this. And so 20, so, uh, 20 or so of us gathered on Wednesday and we... We just did this. We got in the presence of God together. Were, were we in the presence of God at our homes, going about our week? Sure. But we said, hey, we need to assemble and we need to pray and we need to be in the presence of the Lord. And we did that. And guess what? That shouldn't be unique. That should be the norm. It should be the habit that we are a people who gather with the people of God to be in his presence 
and to stir each other up, to pray together. We need to normalize this because the opposite is what often happens. He says the neglecting of the assembly will become the habit of some. Man, that is, that is true. Like it's true because it's Bible, but it's true because I see it. I see it. There's, there's always gonna be easy off-ramps to stop assembling with the saints. Whether it's something crazy like a pandemic and we have an easy excuse to stop gathering and then we just normalize that and it becomes the habit of many, that has happened for a lot of people. They don't gather with the people of God anymore because there was an off-ramp. Or as sadly happens often along the road that we walk, we hurt one another and we get an off-ramp because we've been disappointed by other people and so we off-ramp. And what started is just a, a little decision, a little moment, I'll miss this here, I'll miss that there. One day we wake up and realize, wow, my routine now is that I don't assemble with the people of God. And we suffer because of it. We are meant to assemble together. We should normalize that. It should be habitual. It should be habitual in our lives. It should be habitual for us as a church. Listen, I, I look forward to the day when we have a building and we're not assembling in a gym. I look forward to that. I do. But I also just want to say to you, while that might change some practical aspects of what we do, it's not going to change the heart of who we are as a church. Because the church is the people and we're called to gather and so we do that on Sundays, but we are meant to do that beyond this as well. It's meant to be something consistent we do. And so we've always emphasized gathering in each other's homes to be in God's presence, to encourage one another, to spur each other on to love and good works and to pray for one another. And so this is who we are. This is what we do. And as, as, as we touch other people's lives, as other people find our church community, like this is who we're called to be as a people, that we prioritize the presence of God in our gatherings. Listen, sometimes church changes what we thought we were maybe gonna do on a Sunday morning because we're just like, hey, we're really just here to be in God's presence and we feel like we need to continue to worship or we just stop and pray some more or, or whatever the case may be because we aren't just coming here to fulfill a religious duty. It's not like check, I went to church hit the marker. No, we come to be in the presence of God. Like what, what a gift. We get to come to be in the presence of God. And so this is what Joshua is experiencing. And it's meant to be normal for him is, is gathering with the saints, being in their presence. And here's this young guy with these elders, with these leaders, and he's around them. I'm so thankful that at an early age in my life, I was a part of a church that, that like included me in stuff. And I have very distinct memories of the early days of Grace Chapel back in Leapers Fork, Tennessee, and getting to go to a little place we called the Grace House that was just a converted old house that had been turned into an office and going to this upper room. And I would get to sit in a room with people who were 10, 15, 20, 30 years older than me. And there might be 15 of us, 20 of us in a room and we're praying. We're praying for the church. We're praying for each other. Maybe we're learning ways we can grow. And I just got to sit and soak that up and be a part of that. And like, 
I didn't feel worthy of being in the Lord's presence and I didn't feel worthy of being in the presence of those people that I admired and looked up to. But it was a gift. And, and friends, I just have to say to you, like if this sounds really mysterious to you or strange to you or like, well, I know God wants us to be in his presence, but I don't really know what that means or how to do that. Or I've seen other people seem like they're having a really special emotional moment, but I've never felt that. I just wanna say to you, choose to do what Joshua did. If there's some people that you admire and you look up to and go, wow, they seem to know what it's like to spend time in God's presence. Well, then listen, if you don't know how to be in God's presence, go be in their presence. Go hang out with them and say, hey, I want some of that. And watch what happens. And so I'm grateful that I got to be with imperfect people, but people who love Jesus and regularly committed time to be in his presence and they let this 19-year-old kid tag along. I'm grateful for that. But also, and I don't, I don't say anything special about me. I just, I look back and go, wow, I'm glad I just was like dumb and happy and eager and went along. But like, it would have been very easy for me not to go to that stuff. There were plenty of guys I could have been hanging out with who weren't doing that. And so I'm grateful that somehow I stumbled into that and said yes to it. And so I would encourage you, you want to practice God's presence? You want to know what that's like? Go spend time with other people who are practicing the presence of God. And let's purpose here at this church, at this place, to be a people who are committed to faithfully assembling and being in God's presence together. Being in awe of the fact that we get to do that. The living God would let me be in his presence? Whoa. I live in a country where at least up till now, I'm still allowed to freely do that. Whoa. I wonder what's gonna happen in 10 years, 30 years, 50 years when there's some Americans going, wow, I didn't take it. <laughs> Did you just say you won't be here? <laughs> it's my dad. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a Moses age thing happening and you'll make it that long. Um, Listen, but seriously, like we don't know what the future holds. And I fear there's far too many Christian Americans taking for granted that I can just go anytime I want. So I'll go when I feel like it. And then what's gonna happen when we aren't allowed to anymore? How faithful are we gonna be when it might get me thrown in jail to go to my neighbor's living room and pray to Jesus, but like three houses down might know what we're doing and they report us. You don't think that could happen? You haven't even paid attention to current things happening in other countries. You haven't read about what happened in Hitler's day. Like that happened within the last hundred years. It, it happens all over, guys. Listen, I don't mean this to sound like I'm lecturing you. I realize when I get fired up, it might sound like, man, the preacher's like mad at us this morning. You're here, you're assembled, you're gathered. Yes, this is good. I'm just, I'm just saying to you that the scripture warns us our habits can easily change and we will find easy off-ramps. And sadly, that is the story for far too many and the message of Joshua, something he experienced at a young age that anchored him as he moved forward in his generation was, I'm not gonna forsake this. This is a gift and I'm gonna treasure it and I'm gonna walk in it.
And so that leads to point number two. If we're meant to be in God's presence with God's people, number two, we need to prioritize being in God's presence. Exodus 24 now. They finish this meal and it's time for Moses to go up and to, and to get those stone tablets written by the very finger of God, as the scripture says, as he makes a covenant with these people. Exodus 24, 12 through 14, then I'll skip down and read verse 18 as well. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here. Where are they? Are they with all the other people? Nope. They came a little further up and spent time in God's presence. And Moses says, wait here until you get tired of being here. Until some people wish you'd come check in on them and see how things are going. Until the little worries and demands of your life call you back. No. Wait here until I return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So if the people need something, which way do we go? They come here. They come to you. You experience the presence of God here. You wait here till this whole process is finished. So you wait. Verse 18. So now Moses and Joshua have gone further up and now Moses is going all the way in. So Joshua's by himself a little further up than the elders. But now Moses is getting this special moment going into the cloud, the presence of God there. In verse 18, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And there's Joshua just experiencing this, watching it, observing it. Over the next 40 days, can you say 40 days? Over the next 40 days, we have Exodus 25 through 31, where Moses gets the instruction for the sanctuary, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the tabernacle, the whole deal, all the various elements, the priestly instructions, the commissioning of, of what to build and who's to build it. And at the conclusion of it tells us that, as I already said, God writes the two tablets of the testimony in stone with his own finger, writes out the Ten Commandments. 40 days Moses is experiencing this. No food, no water. He's just in God's presence and God's sustaining him and giving him this. And while this is taking place, Exodus 32, there's a little thing called a golden calf. 40 days. Guys, they saw the 10 plagues. They saw the Red Sea part. They watch God give them water from a rock. They're still receiving daily food called manna every day just on the ground. They see what's happening up on the mountain. And 40 days, less than a month, 40 days, or sorry, more than a month. That math was not right. <laughs> I caught Kristen Pinella out of the corner of my eye going, she did one of those emojis, you know? I'm like, I think I misspoke. Yeah, a little more than a month. 
<laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and they're getting anxious. And listen, just for time's sake, I'm not gonna read the whole story. You should read Exodus 32. But some, some things happen. They get anxious. They call the elders down. And of course, the elders come to them. And before we know it, what's Aaron doing? He's, he's helping them make a golden calf. And his explanation later is, oh, I just put the gold in the fire and out popped this calf. <laughs> That's his excuse to try to cover for himself. That's the leader who's supposed to be reminding them of the presence of the Lord and of their commitment to, to him. And he goes, oh, no. But see, here's the funny thing. In a certain way, I think Aaron's right. Oh, the golden calf just popped out. Yeah, because that is the inevitability of changing your focus. When we get our eyes off of him, guess what's gonna pop up? Another idol. We will worship because we're made to. And so we just find other things to worship. And so this heartbreaking scene is unfolding. And so as, as Moses is finishing his time with the Lord, the Lord lets Moses in on what's going on. He's not even down there and he has more insight than everybody else, than the people in the middle of it, than Joshua waiting on the mountain. He gets this insight. God lets him know what is happening down there with the people. And so Moses hears the report and he prays. He intercedes for them. God, go easy on them. Don't judge them. Don't wipe them out. He intercedes for those people as they're already in 40 days throwing away the covenant. Like the first two things, have no other gods before you and don't make any idols. And what did they do? Aaron, make us another God that we can follow. There's an idol to worship. They broke the first two right away. And so here comes Moses. So verse 32, 15 through 18, Moses is about to come down the mountain now. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. There is something coming down the mountain that God had engraved for them and they substituted it for gold and a calf of their making. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat but the sound of singing that I hear. See, while Moses seems to be neglecting his duty by taking care of the people, he's actually done the very right thing that he should do. Above everything else, all these needs, all these responsibilities, all these people, he has prioritized getting in the presence of God. And because he prioritized that, he received all the information he needed he received the big picture instruction. Like spending time with God gives us big picture clarity. Who am I? How am I called to live? Who is God? Who are we as a people? He got all of that download of information. He had the big picture insight and direction for how to walk with God. And that's available to all of us if we'll spend time in God's presence. 
We have his word. We have his presence. We have each other to learn from and to wrestle this stuff through with. It's available to us. But listen, he not only got big picture vision and instruction, he also got specific instruction and insight into this situation. Here's this problem stirring amongst the people and Moses has the insight to know what's happening and to know how to deal with it because he was in God's presence. What does Joshua have? He has his own instinct and his own past experience. And so he's evaluating the situation through his human eyes and his human understanding. Oh, I think there's war going on down there. Well, yeah, you're a warrior. I bet that's what you think it is. He just sees it through his own wisdom and experience. Friends, it's not enough to just be removed from the chaos and confusion of those who aren't walking with the Lord. It's not enough just to be removed from that. Don't settle for going halfway up the mountain and then trusting our own instinct into what's wrong and how it ought to be fixed and what needs to be done. And well, this is just a war going on and we need to fight. It's possible to say I'm not participating in that and still miss out on being in the presence of God. What we need in our day is people who know how to get in the presence of God and hear what he has to say about what's going on and how he wants to handle that chaos that's happening in your home. You're gonna trust your own wisdom and instinct on that one? Maybe even fight with your spouse over it? Or we need to get in the presence of God and say, God, what's going on here? Give me eyes to see what's really going on and what needs to be done. What's going on in, in my office? What's going on in our community? What's going on in our church? We get in God's presence. Joshua relied on his past experience to interpret what was happening. Moses relied on God's revelation. And Joshua learned from that. He learned from that. Friends, we ought to live and therefore lead from the place of presence because we've purposed not to neglect God's presence due to the many demands of life. I'm gonna read that again. We ought to live and lead. If you don't see yourself as a leader, you're missing it. We all have areas of responsibility and influence, all of us. We ought to live and lead from the place of being in the presence of God. That's what we need, time in his presence so we know how to live and lead. Not neglecting God's presence due to the many demands of life. Aaron just felt the pressure. There's a lot of needs. There's a lot swirling. There's a lot going on. Look at all the things happening. Oh, what do I do? What do I do? I got to step in. I got to try to fix it and solve it and help these people. And he got swept up in the chaos of it all. Anybody ever feel like you're getting swept up in the chaos of it all? I mean, my hand's up. <laughs> but we have a gift. It's the gift of God's very presence. I wonder how much of the stress and anxiety that marks the day we live in I wonder how much of that stress and anxiety would be repaired simply by prioritizing the presence of God above everything else. I'm anxious and I'm worried. So what do I think about? All the things I'm anxious and worried about. 
And then does that bring relief because I've solved it all? No, but I think of three other things that I'd kind of forgotten about that I'm now also anxious and worried about. And we just get caught in the swirl. And Moses is like, you know what? Those problems are still gonna be there. But God wants to talk to me. And I'm gonna be in his presence. And so I want you to see the contrast. Moses on the mountain of God, worshiping God, being in God's presence. He's not eating or drinking. He's simply being sustained by the God of the universe. And the people down below, confused, compromising, creating their own idols to worship. And what does Moses do when he gets down there with them? He does something really strange, but I think it was something they were meant to understand what was going on, what was really happening. Verses 19 and 20 now in Exodus 32. And as soon as he came near the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Why? Because they'd already broken that covenant. God's got it signed, sealed, and delivered, and they've already broken it. So he breaks the covenant. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. Oh, man. Dad ain't happy. God ain't happy. Moses just spared their life because God had already told Moses, hey, you know, here's the deal, man. I made a promise to Abraham, but you're in the line of Abraham. I can start this over with you, buddy. We can wipe all them out and I can start a new people with Moses. But Moses prayed for them. And so he goes down there to teach them something. And I, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. I've got this bullet pointed in my notes, but you can write this down if you want to remember it. When we stop prioritizing God's presence, we will gravitate towards idol worship. It will happen every time. Anytime in our American culture when we read about idol worship in the Old Testament, you know, it's just easy to go, oh, look at those like old-timey people who didn't really understand, falling for weird stuff like that. No, 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 no. We make idols and we worship them. Anytime we stop prioritizing God, we will gravitate towards idol worship. Here's how the process goes. You ready for it? Number one, what you prioritize, you will idolize. What you prioritize, you will idolize. Whatever your priorities are, you've made that an idol because you've prioritized it in your life. And what you idolize, you will worship. We become a slave to the very thing that we thought we were just like choosing. I'm choosing this. This will be good for me. I'll enjoy this. I'll focus my time and attention on it. Before we know it, we're worshiping it. What we prioritize, we idolize. And what we idolize, we worship. And here's the lesson Moses taught them. What you worship is what feeds you. What you worship is what feeds you. How in the world did Moses survive 40 days without food and water? Because he worshiped the very God who is life and he had everything he needed. Moses made them eat that ground up idol and said, hey, how did that taste? What's that doing for you? Because the last point is this, what feeds you is what you will have to rely on to sustain you. 
What feeds you is what you will have to rely on to sustain you. And anything other than God will always fall short. We have tons of idols in our day. Tons of things that we prioritize and worship. That we look to to satisfy us. And maybe they briefly do. But ultimately, it's just like eating dusty water. It won't sustain. It won't satisfy. It won't last. Friends, we're meant to experience the presence of God with each other. We're meant to prioritize this in our own lives. And so I want to end where we began. I just, want to, I just want us to see this one last time as we wrap up this morning. This is Exodus 33. I'm going to read a little bit more of it. Verses 7 through 11. Because this is the opportunity we all have to practice the presence of God. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. See, it was actually a gift to be removed from the chaos of everyday life and its demands. It was a gift to set time aside and to go pick a place to be with the Lord. And he made that tent, and it was available to everyone who sought the Lord. And so everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. They were so in awe of the unique relationship that God had with Moses that they would stand at attention and go, whoa, something special is happening here. Friends, something special still will happen here. We can experience what Moses experienced because the door has been opened forever into the very presence of God. We can spend time with him. Verse 10. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his own tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. He'd eaten in the very presence of God. He'd waited alone on that mountain by himself. He'd watched the chaos and unfaithfulness of so many. And he easily could have gone down that mountain with those elders too, and he didn't. And he waited, and he saw Moses spend that time with the Lord on the mountain. And he saw Moses spend that time in the tent with the Lord, and he said, I want that. I want that. I'm not gonna be discouraged or distracted by everybody else I want that. And so he camped at that tent. He stayed there. He stayed there. Everyone can meet with the Lord. He, he made a way. Christ came so we could experience relationship with God. We're meant to experience it together because we can learn from each other how to do this. We've been given the practices of like his word and prayer and all these things, but it's not, it's not in those things themselves. It's, it's practicing God's presence because he is faithful to do what he promised. It's what, it's what we read in James 4. I think it was when Crystal taught. 
draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Don't hang back and wait. God, are you going to come here and talk to me? Are you going to come show yourself to me? Choose. Draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the precious gift of your presence. Lord, I acknowledge in my own life, I, I just I acknowledge we as a people and, and in this society, God, we, we make idols and we worship other things. And God, I just confess that and say, I'm sorry. Lord, I, th- I thank you, Jesus, for your precious blood. God, that your mercy is new and it is available every day, every morning. And that we can come with confidence, with boldness into your presence because of our Savior, Jesus. And so, God, I I pray for myself individually, for each of us as individuals. God, I also pray for us as a people, as a church, that we would be committed to prioritizing being in your presence, that we would linger there. God, that we wouldn't fall for the temptations and the distractions of this life, but we would be with you. And God, that we would purpose to assemble as a people regularly, consistently, faithfully to be in your presence together. What a gift. Thank you for the gift of your presence. And Lord, as as Moses said next, we're not reading it this morning, but as he said next, Lord, we don't want to go forward without your presence. I don't want to face this afternoon without your presence. I don't want to go forward as a church into our future without your presence. If you won't go with us, we won't go. God, would we have that mentality of staying and being with you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen.